Hi everyone, I'm Christina Burnett, your host for the It's Natural podcast. Welcome back to another episode. I am so glad that you're joining me. And I know you have a lot of listening options that are out there. So I'm so glad that you're here for another episode. And choosing what to talk about for this week's episode, we relied on you. There, We've been inundated with many questions, emails, DMs, product recommendations, skincare recommendations. And the topic that seems to be heavily requested by you is how to take care of your skin during colder winter months. And I personally always appreciate when somebody shares their routines, what works for them, what products they have used and love, especially if their skin condition or what they're going through with their skin is something similar to what I'm going through. So of course, there will be product recommendations and skincare recommendations linked into this episode and all throughout this episode. However, I geeked out a little bit more on this topic and went wanted to dive deeper and further into studies and different articles to understanding more about our skin because it seems to be presented as such a straightforward, simple, you just apply this and this clears up and miracles happen and you have glowing, beautiful skin. Yet from my own sensitive dry skin, and then in previous years, skin issues that I had that were undiagnosed and very frustrating to go through, I started to realize how it's not as straightforward as just applying a balm and you're glowing in on your way. So I think the more we get to know about the intricate systems of our body, in this case, our skin, we can be empowered to advocate for ourselves. And especially with skin, a lot of the advice that can be given is pertaining to quick fixes based on vanity metrics, which rely heavily on selling products. I want you to feel empowered to voice your concerns about the issues we might be going through, but also to be able to chime in on the strategy and the solutions that is right for your body and in this topic at hand for your skin. And I really empathize with those who go through skin issues, especially chronic skin issues like eczema, rosacea, acne, dermatitis of some sort. You can feel very vulnerable in this situation and also a little bit defeated, not knowing the answers or the solutions. So I wanted to go in deeper and Hopefully we can all learn a little more about our skin, what it's made of. And then again, you can be part of the solution strategy instead of just having answers handed to you that might not work for you. So let's get into this week's episode. And before we get into this week's episode, I would like to take a moment to remind you to please rate and review this podcast if you feel inclined, as that is the easiest way to help us grow and expand as It's Natural is newer. And in your reviews, if you would like, please feel free to add comments and suggestions to what topics you like covered guest you would like to see, and suggestions that you have as we do go through your comments often. And your suggestion might be chosen for the next episode. Now let's dive on into this week's episode. As I had mentioned in the intro, you guys were our inspiration for this week's conversation on how to help protect your skin during dry winter months. So as I am located in California, and I know I'm generalizing more for the Bay Area, region, but there's usually not too much of a 
change in seasons, but thankfully this year we're having a beautiful fall. It's really refreshing because the last few years we haven't even really had a fall. It's gone from hot summers and then fire season, which just kind of went into winter all of a sudden. And why I bring this up the last few years, my skin would just freak out and my skin would just get very dry and sensitive, which it normally is. This was even more extreme. And it's always lovely when your skin starts to peel from the dryness and it's all in your hairline. It looks like you have dandruff. So, so many problems. So I can identify with those who deal with the seasonal changes and this what that means for your skin. And this year, thankfully, I've been able to anticipate it a little bit. I think it's been more gentler since we are having a fall to have a little less of extreme fluctuations in temperature. And with the temperatures getting colder outside, this usually means the start of heaters and fireplaces coming on indoors. And this can cause low humidity in and outdoors, which can rob our skin of any added moisture. And not to mention, we usually around this time can crank up the temperature also in our showers or baths, whether it's a soap or a body wash, these can also be harsh on our skin, which includes also the detergents we use, cleaning products, and skincare products, which can all contribute to our skin losing more moisture. And before we go any further, I thought it'd be helpful to differentiate the difference between dehydrated skin and dry skin. So dehydrated skin means it's lacking water. And some of the clues for dehydrated skin is dull or tightness in your skin, whereas dry skin is lacking natural oils. And some of these clues are dry skin that is flaky, red, and easily irritated. And so you can have one or both um, symptoms at the same time or in different times. So some of the studies and articles that I read obviously pointed out to drier skin in the wintertime being linked a little bit more to dehydrated skin or it's just more of an issue. Obviously, with the temperatures not being as warm, and we're not maybe not producing as much of a sweat when we work out because the temperatures are cooler or just throughout our day, we're not paying attention to how much hydration we're getting, whether that's drinking water and drinking liquids, or just even having more of those summer vegetables that can be higher in water content, like cucumbers, watermelon, celery, by us not taking in liquids through our drinking or eating dehydrated skin becomes a little more of an issue and more prevalent during the winter months. So after differentiating the difference between dehydrated skin and dry skin, I thought it'd be also helpful just to go quickly over the layers that make up our skin as that way we can know more about our skin and and the information that I continue on with will also make a little more sense too and be an easy reference. Think of that classic illustration where that chunk of skin or that anatomy of that chunk of skin, I thought I would start at the bottom with the yellow part, which that is important for the insulation, energy storage, and shock absorption. I know fat still just has such a bad rap, especially on our bodies. And I feel it's still a little more relevant, especially with women. And I know it's trending now, the heroin chic trend is starting to come back. That is still getting such a negative stance. 
Yet, even from just going from a vanity metric, how important it is for our face, for our bodies, for our muscle tone, it actually provides structure. And without this fat, you're not having that structure and protection for your organs, for your muscles. Then as we're talking about skin, which is obviously all around our body, but mostly we think about it on our face. We think about it more because it stares back at us in the mirror. So fat is an important part of our bodies, whether we're talking about our skin and the nutrients it provides to the dermis and epidermis layers of our skin. It's a pivotal foundational role that it plays out. On to the next layer, which is at the... Sorry, when I see this, and even when I was doing research for this, it's so funny how the illustrations haven't changed since college, but the classic, and I don't know if you took anatomy or biology or just, again, any pictures representing our skin, we will be talking about the dermis. And it's usually represented in that illustration as the largest piece in the middle. And I think it's just because it has so many different vessels and functions going on in that middle layer. So the dermis contains blood vessels, nerves, sweat, sebaceous glands, and hair follicles. So going back to that anatomy illustration, sebaceous glands were usually labeled oil glands. And I didn't find any studies or mentions of this when this changed. And I'm gathering from the different articles and journals and resources that I used for this episode. I'm not quite sure when the knowledge or the expression of the knowledge expanded with oil glands into sebaceous glands. So sebaceous glands, and I'll go into this later on, but they produce something called sebum. And sebum is a nutrient for our skin. And actually studies and some of the articles also stated that they're still trying to understand the full potential and, and how it interacts with not only the other surfaces of the skin, but also internally how it can signal the outside environment to our inside environment and be a clue to our bodies. They're still understanding this. So I'm not quite sure when oil glands, which oil is in sebum, it's not as simple as that. I just remember the, I don't know, 2000s, the pore strips, the Clearasol, the Proactive, what other one was there? There was also, I don't know, just the harsh astringent. And they always had the pictures in the commercials where they're washing up the oil glands and poof, your pimple is gone. It's interesting to see that our knowledge of our skin is still expanding, especially in just this little area, how it's still expanding and it's exciting to see what will come of it. For the last layer, air quotes last layer, but the most outside layer of our skin is the epidermis. The epidermis is the main protective barrier, and this is where we experience where most of the dryness occurs. But how it functions is the cells from the youngest are at the bottom and the older cells are at the surface and they sloth off as they die. And again, we'll go into more of this process because it's not as straightforward as it's been presented. And again, I think the knowledge of our skin is expanding, it going from labs and studies and research, and then going into more of the mainstream practices and stuff it usually takes five to 10 years. It's interesting to see how this, again, presented very simply, even with the washing out the oil glands and poof, your pimple's gone, how it's presented so 
matter-of-factly and so simply, and, and yet it's not. And while this description might sound like each layer is separate, on the contrary, the layers are in constant communication and intermingling. And I found it fascinating to find out that each layer previously, they had thought that each layer was sterile and of its own function. And more and more, we're just finding out how symbiotic each part of our body is and communicating to each other. And I feel that is another area where science and medicine, especially Western medicine is evolving. And one of these ways that our skin communicates the externally what's going on in our environment to our internal systems and biomes and vice versa, the internal to the external is our skin's biome. The human skin is home to thousands of species of bacteria and other microbes collectively called the skin's microbiome. Many of these are important to our health. Again, it is still not understood the full relationship of how the skin protects and signals to the immune system. Growth and protection of the skin's protective outer layer is a complex process and it involves a mix of cells and fatty insulation they produce. Together, they prevent water from escaping the skin and pathogens from getting in. It has been shown that various organisms of the body need to work together in a symbiotic way for the body to protect itself from various intruders, including autoimmune disorders, allergies, and infections. And the thousands of various bacteria and fungi on our skin is dispersed throughout the various layers of our skin. Unlike previously thought, the skin at no point is sterile, even in the subdermis layers. So the epidermis has an outer layer of skin, which is made up of dead skin cells and lipids made from the skin's natural oils. The outer mantle of our skin is made up of dead skin cells and lipids made from your skin's natural oils. And then on top of that, and also intertwined, is an acid mantle, which is made up of sebum and sweat which might be considered a bad thing by some. However, on the contrary, this combination adds an extra layer of protection by making your skin slightly acidic. And depending on your personal chemistry and the products you apply, your pH can range from 4.5 to 6.5. And even in this area right here with the outer mantle and then the acid mantle, it was described in several articles almost being completely separate, but then doing further research, they're actually kind of intertwined in some parts of your body, depending on what your skin needs. And then there was also to understand this protective layer, there was an illustration given of brick and mortar. So the bricks are your dead skin cells, and the mortar is made up of this sebum and acid and sweats combined. And depending on where in the body they're looking, this mortar mixture that your body is making is also being expanded upon with what it's made up of without saying it, but saying it, it still sounds like they aren't sure and can't identify all the components quite yet or how they intertwine again with each other and how it's not separate, but it's intertwined and supporting each other with these different layers, again, depending on your skin's needs. And despite its name, the acid mantle, which is on the outermost layer of the epidermis, helps to keep your skin soft, supple, smooth, and strong. 
helping to prevent water loss and help protect against pollutants and UV rays. It provides resistance to infections because the acidity prevents the growth of harmful bacteria, which can thrive in alkaline environments. It also boosts the immune system by providing antigens close to the surface of the skin so they can kill off any quote-unquote bad bacteria. And the ceramides are one type of protective fatty molecule found in the outer layer, and low ceramide levels result in dry skin and are associated with aging and other skin disorders. Now that we have gone over the general mechanics of the skin's biome and what it does and how it benefits the appearance of our skin, but also the internal functions, how our immune system works in relations to our skin, I thought it would be helpful to go over some of these terms of those of some of the terms I used for the mortar illustration of our skin. Oh, wait, did I not warn you guys? Yes, I nerded out a little bit. I did. And actually, I could have gone a lot more in depth. So if you're here for product recommendations and skincare routines, don't worry, those are coming. So if you're still with me, I thought it'd be beneficial to go over just three terms to go a little more in depth about their definition. And two of them, again, if you're here for more products recommendations, two of them are in a lot of products now or being more incorporated to products. So even in that way, when you are shopping, you know what these ingredients mean. And obviously there'll be different forms of them in in products than what your skin produces. So the chemistry is a little bit different. However, you will get the overall mechanics of what they should be doing for your skin. As of now, I've mentioned sebum a few times and it's a complex mixture of fatty acids, sugars, waxes, and other natural chemicals that form a protective barrier against water evaporation. Sebum production is a complex process that scientists don't fully understand. That said, researchers do know that its primary function is to protect your skin and hair from moisture loss. Some scientists speculate that sebum may also have an antimicrobial and antioxidant role. It may even help release pheromones. Research into these potential functions is ongoing. The next two ingredients I'm going to talk about that our body produces. The two ingredients are part of the sebum function and acting as the mortar in that illustration of the brick and mortar of the epidermis layer of the skin. And actually that kind of goes into, again, the dermis layer. So it is a little bit confusing because these layers are they're so intertwined as the way they communicate, the way they relate, they literally are intertwined together. Ceramides are moisturizing agents that make the skin feel soft. Ceramides are actually part of a subgroup of lipids. Ceramides act similar to mortar between those bricks because they help to seal in moisture in conjunction with the skin cells present in the uppermost layers of the epidermis. Then the last term that I thought would be helpful to go in the definition of is squalene. Squalene is a precursor for synthesis to all plant and animal sterols, including cholesterol and steroid hormones in the human body. Human sebum also contains 13% squalene as one of its major constituents. So as I had mentioned, ceramides and squalene are popping up in more and more 
skincare products. Squalene, though, I do want to note that we do need to be careful. And I know we are all short on time, but squalene is really important to look at where these companies source it from because it has been previously and mainly sourced from shark livers. Right now, not only do the sharks need our help, but when they derive it from this method, this method also contains organic pollutants as well. So it's really important to know where the brands source it from. And it should be really easy to find on their websites where they source it from because it has become a topic of interest and concern when people are sourcing it from shark livers because sharks are on the decline and need our help, but also the pollutants that are also involved when you source it in that method. And there are other methods where you can produce squalene that are plant-based. And since we are taking a broader look at our skin to understand it and to have more knowledge about it by looking at what makes up our skin's biome and its different layers and components like sebum, ceramide, and squalene, it'd be also important to go into how our skin can be compromised. So damage or compromised skin often refers to the damage to the skin's natural barrier. This can occur through over-exfoliating, overuse of active ingredients, sensitivity, or some skin conditions such as eczema. Aging can also make your skin prone to being compromised as productions of ceramides, sebum, and peptides can decline. While using harsh active ingredients like acids and retinoids can cause damage to the skin's natural barrier when overused, ceramides may help the skin to tolerate active ingredients better by supporting the skin's natural barrier. Ceramides may help to reduce the sensitivity and irritation that may be caused by the use of active ingredients. The damage to the skin's natural barrier can make the skin extra sensitive and dry. And this area, again, of compromised skin shows the importance of what ingredients we use, whether it's our skincare routine, whether it's our shampoos, our soaps, our detergents. They can also lead to our skin's barrier being irritated. And how I had previously mentioned that there is a certain pH balance that our skin needs to obtain and hold to make sure that it is protected and working properly, this biome. Again, with the products I will share, they all lean towards this way of being more gentler instead of having that stripping effect or that cleansing effect. And I think that leads back to the start of that anatomy picture that I always had where it said oil gland and the commercials where I grew up where it's all about stripping out and if it doesn't burn I was one of those people who if it doesn't burn it's not properly working instead I, I think the studies and the science around our skin is changing and evolving and I think that and the breakdown of that to us as consumers is slowly shifting However, it is important to know what we're putting on our skin because this can also not just break down that moisture barrier, but it also can lead to more chronic conditions of irritation and inflammation that may needlessly be happening without our knowing.
And one thing that continually pops up, no matter the various areas of the body and systems that I might be researching and looking at, that keeps coming up is how important our biomes are. While we have various biomes, not only are they important in their individual process and what they do, but how they interplay and again, create that symbiotic relationship throughout our body. And probiotics are an important factor. Our skin's biome can be thrown off due to chronic inflammation, stress, changes in the skin's pH levels, our diet, and other factors, which can create an imbalance in the microbes. Growing research suggests that skin care products with prebiotics, probiotics, and postbiotics can help get healthy microbes back into balance. A balanced microbiome can help reduce eczema, acne, dry skin, and even wrinkles and skin cancer risk linked to UV damage. And another biome that affects our skin is our gut's biome. It might seem odd that your stomach has an effect, yet when taking into account all the data and studies coming out about the vital relation the gut has to signaling to various areas of our body, like the brain. Side fact, did you know that 95% of serotonin is actually made in your guts, not your brain? But also depending on your gut state, you may or may not be getting all your nutrients from your food and supplements, depending on your internal health. And this also plays out on the skin's level by showing the health of your gut and your body's health overall. There are many similarities and mysteries that doctors and other researchers are still discovering about the biomes of the gut, mouth, and the topic at hand, our skin. These biomes are showing the relationship it's having with our internal and external worlds and seem to signal the overall status of health of the whole body. And as I continue to mention, unlike what many medical professionals advised or offered perspective of, of each area being an isolated relation all into itself, instead of looking at it as a whole integrated symbiotic system. So if your gut is not healthy and not absorbing vital nutrients and ridding itself of toxins, then it will eventually play out in your skin. Taking a good quality probiotic is one of the tools to help your gut and its line to heal itself. Also helping aiding in the health of your gut is eating prebiotic and postbiotic foods. Another way we can help our skin, but also our gut's health is by the foods we eat. So I thought it'd be helpful to go over just a few foods that we can take that are easy, but are very nutrient dense. These foods are especially beneficial to these drier months as they are rich in fats and oils that are healthy and vital, but also can help our overall health in general. So avocados are a favorite and on top of my list as they provide healthy fats, which are needed to protect our skin and also help our skin to produce flexible, moisturized skin and can aid in UV protection. Also contains vitamin E, which is an antioxidant, helping the skin and other systems fight free radicals. Another healthy food that can help us is walnuts, which are rich in omega-3, which is amazing to at keeping skin supple and moisturized while also being an anti-inflammatory. Included in walnuts 
is also zinc, which is another component that helps the skin heal and combat inflammation and potential bacteria with the added bonus of psyllium and vitamin E also being in walnuts. Another food that can benefit our skin is seaweed, which contains omega-3, B12, iodine, and various other minerals and vitamins. And then a few others that are on the list that contain similar nutrients are dark chocolate, soy, matcha, and green tea. Also, the rule of just eating the rainbow with dark leafy greens and bright colored fruits and veggies is another way to make sure that you're getting an overall wide variety of proper nutrients, not only for your skin, but also to help your gut health and your overall vitality. So the next area that I want to go over is probably the most requested, and this is the area of skincare. Skincare tip, and one that I'm continually working on, is reduce stress. Yes, this is a skincare tip. Stress is a major disruptor of all biomes, especially unregulated stress. This means stress that is continually going on, whether it's from relationships, home, work, whatever is going on, and it's going unchecked for a longer extended period of time. This type of unregulated stress can throw off our hormones, our heart rates, lead to anxiety, throw off our gut health, cause an increase in headaches and migraines. So again, I think the theme that I keep bringing up is how symbiotic our bodies are and the different systems that are at play. And I know we have all had, especially during those teenage years where that stress pimple will come up or around your time of the period, that hormonal outbreak, we can see how our environment affects us mentally, physically, and the physical part we're talking about right now is our skin. And this is an importance of recovery from chronic stress, whether that's a lifestyle change or sometimes upheaval, whether that's going to a therapist, taking on a meditation practice or a practice that you find relaxing, like a low impact workout getting out in nature, journaling, whatever it might be. And I think these practices are cliche for a reason, because if you have gone through periods of unchecked stress, and when you look back on it and you have recovered, and I'm not using covered as perfected, just made changes to empower yourself and how you're living. I think we can all look at then all the symptoms we had, whether that was our skin, whether that was how we were reacting to situations. I think reducing stress is one of my biggest skincare and lifestyle and overall wellness tips because it does affect so many areas internally and externally. For my next skin tip is one that I had uh, had to kind of work my way slowly off of doing it. And that is to avoid exfoliation and even stopping exfoliation. The reason why I love this tip and I have found it personally so helpful, as I had previously mentioned with the kind of mortars illustration about the epidermis and this protective layers, moisturizing, again, UV protection built into our skin and the sebum that is part of the mortar. However, the dead skin cells that are part of the bricks, we know them as being dry and flaky usually, 
is what we give the picture of. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, especially when we're talking about moisture retention, because if you're helping your skin and maybe applying an oil or a thick moisturizer, dry skin cells can actually soak that up and help retain your products and your moisturizers and help that penetrate deeper, but also help it to stay on your skin and, and provide extra protection from your skin. And I have noticed too that my skin doesn't peel as much as it used to or flake off or, or have a need for me to exfoliate, which you don't really notice until you take stock of what's going on with your skin. So it has come naturally that as the less that I exfoliated, the less my skin actually needed it and the less dry it has been for the last year or so. And exfoliation too, depending on the type that you're doing can also be irritating. Even with all this, I'm not completely against it. I think there's a time and place. However, I think it's been betrayed, especially in products, whether that's an enzyme, lasers, whatever the method might be. I think that it's been an overused skincare modality that has per been portrayed as being very natural to do. Yet again, I think our skin has different mechanics about it that provide a natural rhythm and protection for our skin's biome. So my next skincare tip, which I think should be my last, unless I think of one, um, is to be careful when using hyaluronic acid. This is, again, is another ingredient where I'm in the middle of the two camps. Some people love it, some people hate it, but it is in a lot of moisturizing products, including mini skin tints, and it's leaching into more of the makeup realm as makeup and skincare are melding more and more. Hyaluronic acid, well, even our own body produces it, and it is beneficial. So as we're talking about drier, colder winter months, so if you're not getting moisture from your environment, whether you're outside or even inside your home or office, you're likely getting less moisture from the air. And hyaluronic acid, it absorbs moisture and actually holds it and keeps it in your skin, which is a great thing. However, if you don't have any moisture from your environment, it can start sucking that moisture from your skin, which is the complete opposite of what we are wanting. If you have a moisturizer or a product with it and you notice your skin is still not improving, I would add another moisturizing ingredient to your skincare routine. Again, like a oil or a lotion or moisturizer avenue of your skin to get moisture. And so if you're using a product still with hyaluronic acid, it will have somewhere to absorb and hold onto that moisture instead of leaching it from your skin. Now that we're done with those three tips, I didn't want to overwhelm you or go on forever with skincare tips because I can and I can maybe do a further episode in the future. I thought it would be helpful to go over my skincare routine briefly, very simple one. I have pared it down a lot. It used to have a lot more steps to it. And every once in a while, if I have a skincare need or extra time, I might add in another step. It's pretty straightforward and pretty streamlined as I am short on time. And I'm sure many of you are. What differentiates my skincare routines from the morning routine to the nighttime routine is the cleansing process. 
in the morning, I usually don't wash my face because I've usually already have cleaned my skin the night before. And I just have found it to be redundant and not necessary to wash my face unless there's, I don't know, something going on where maybe I didn't get it as clean as I thought the night before, or um, I might just splash it with some cold water. And that is just mostly to help me wake up. But I usually start my morning routine with a quick rose rose water face mist by Coco Kinds. With the rose water, I love how gentle of a product it is. And that it is a pure rose water formulation. There's nothing else in it. And again, just to go back a little bit, but when I ha- was having those breakouts and I didn't know what was causing the irritation. And again, there was like the cold heat sensation inside and outside. If you touch my skin, it felt hot. It felt hot internally and it was just burning. This was the only thing that would help provide some relief and actually not stinging my skin. Everything, every skincare product pretty much stung my skin at this period of time. So it was so nice to have something that I already loved and it to also provide the help I needed at this time, still use it today. And I just feel like it just helps balance my skin and provides that moisture, some more moisture as I'm waking up. After I let the rose water dry, then I will usually go in with a face oil. I'm usually just grabbing a argan oil or even a hemp or chia seed oil. And all these products that I'm briefly mentioning and kind of rambling through, I will link them in the show notes so that way you can know what some tried and tested products are. And then I know this might not be for everyone. So depending on your skin type again, or maybe your makeup routine and what kind of makeup you're using. After this, I usually go in with a moisturizer. So right now I'm going through and using a very classic moisturizer that I think is usually advertised for as a hand cream because it's so thick, but it's the Walita um, Skin Food Moisturizer. And this is a very thick, not for everyone moisturizer. And I usually do warm it up between my hands before applying it. And that helps it to absorb more easily. And then sometimes I use uh, Tata Harper's Waterlog moisturizer or the Osea Atmosphere Protection Cream. And I just find them both very hydrating. My skin loves them. And even the Osea um, Atmosphere Protection Cream, that you can also use as a face primer underneath your makeup. Just the consistency it is can act as a face primer, which is a nice feature. And for the morning time routine, that is pretty much it as far as products. This is pretty much it. To be honest, if I remember a separate application of sunscreen, I usually use a mineral sunscreen. I have a few that I like, and again, those will be in show notes. And after that, I might apply a skin tint, which also has SPF in it, which adds another layer of protection. But as far as my skincare routine, that's about it for products. I might do an ice roller really quick if I have time or do a couple minutes of a wash off on my face, especially if my sinuses are really feeling heavy. I might do a wash off, which always usually helps 
And so does the ice roller. And then to go into my nighttime routine briefly, the only difference is, again, a little more is the cleansing part. I do like to use a washcloth and I don't know why I feel again, there's two camps, very anti-washcloths for your face. And then me, who's a washcloth user, yes, make sure that they are clean and softer, but when people describe like they're tearing your skin, yet they're they're doing these other processes in their skin routine that really is made to take off the layers and stuff. I don't really know what damage can it can do. I've never really seen that. I think it's a little bit hyped, but I do use a washcloth and and I usually start by rinsing off my face, usually in this shower. The first thing I do is usually take off any, if I have eye makeup on and the easiest way and kind of the cheapest and again, the most hydrating way to even take off eye makeup. And I find that it works with whether you even have really heavy glittery makeup or waterproof mascara or eyeliners um, is olive oil. I have a little jar of olive oil that I keep in the shower and I use this to take off my eye makeup. And sometimes I even use it on my face a little bit. And it's just a gentle way that again is cheap, cost efficient. And then I use the washcloth with some warm water and it takes off all the makeup. And then I usually go in with a cleanser that's more of a milk or a balm consistency. I love Osea's cleansing milk that I usually use or the cocoa kinds. Um, I think it's called balm to oil. And then there's a couple others that I usually have around as well, but those are very gentle, but effective. They, I feel like they remove everything. And so my skin is properly cleansed yet. It's been very gentle and it's not stripping, which to me has been very pivotal to keeping my skin healthy and it's best. And then from here, it's kind of just more of my morning routine where I just mist my face with rose water, apply an oil and moisturizer. I might do even a heavier balm, um, which I, like the Josh Rosebrooks, I think what's that one called the vital balm. And then the, and then there's an, also a balm that's, um, a little bit different consistency, but I also really like, um, by naturopathica. Again, I will link all these guys so you don't have to remember anything. And then I haven't been doing them as much just because it's been a whirlwind, but I do like a face mask. I like the um, Chia mask by Coco Kind, which is moisturizing. There's one by Alpine Beauty. I think a Tata Harper one again and a Josh Rosebrook one. I know that I'm sure there's a couple others, but those are also very hydrating. Also the Alpine Beauty um, lip mask. I really like that as well, especially at night, if your lips get a little bit drier, like mine sometimes can. With these tips and products and just even sharing my routine and how simple it is at this point, I do hope this helps anyone who is going through skin issues. And again, empowers you to know a little bit more about your skin and to do your own research or point you in a direction for your own research. And if you want to rate and review this podcast as it is so helpful in our growth, but also if you have any other suggestions that you of topics that you would like to see or hear as we do read your comments, both on our social, which is linked in show notes and with the rating and reviewing of this podcast. We do go through all those comments and we do take your suggestions. So please feel free to leave any suggestions for topics that you want on this podcast or any future guests you would like to hear. And we would like to thank our sponsor, Mary Ruth Organics, whose information again will be in the show notes. 
And don't forget to use the code EVERGREEN20 for a 15% discount. That's E-V-E-R-G-R-E-E-N 20. And on that note, we'll catch you on the next episode.